We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Next Film School Podcast. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers, the final game on this Western Conference road trip. I should mention, I've been calling it a four-game road trip. It's actually a five-game road trip, technically, because Wednesday, while they play in New York and will have more fans in the building, they'll be in Brooklyn on Wednesday night, so the Second to last game of the technical road trip, but the final game in the Western time zone. Joining me in just a little bit to talk about this matchup will be Trevor Lane of the very popular Lakers Nation podcast. We connected last season, and it's become a, a great time to reconnect with him each year to talk about the Lakers and everything going on with that franchise. The current reigning champions of the in-season tournament. We'll see how much that matters. And of course, we got to talk about our old friend Cam Reddish and, and what's going on out in L.A., some quick stats about the Lakers coming into this one. So they're 15 and 11. And like I mentioned, they just won the in-season tournament. Yet, a very curious statistical profile when you look at some of the process stats. So they're 18th in net rating, 8th in defense, but 20th in offensive rating on the season. This is not a team that scores the basketball a lot. They're coming off a loss to the San Antonio Spurs, which snapped a 19-game losing streak, I believe, 18- or 19-game losing streak by the Spurs. So they're the team that just snapped the Spurs' losing streak. LeBron was healthy. AD was healthy. That wasn't a complete like schedule loss. They were in Texas for two days, uh, excuse me, three days, and they played the Spurs twice. So um, they're coming off the most disappointing loss of the season for the team. They're 16th in free throw percentage, but 6th in free throw attempts per game. And to give you some context, the Knicks are one behind them in both of these categories. The Knicks are 27th in free throw percentage and 7th in free throw percent uh, through free throws attempted per game. So both of these teams have, have done exactly the same thing from the line this year, it seems. In fact, the comparison between the Knicks and the Lakers is very similar in a couple of different groups. Both teams average about 114 points per game if you're not going by offensive rating or by possessions. Um, the big difference is that the Knicks are fifth in three-point percentage, and the Lakers are 22nd in three-point percentage, and the Knicks are 12th in three points attempted per game, and the Lakers are 28th in three-point attempts per game. So this is a team that gets to the line a ton, that tries to beat you two points at a time. Um, This is a team that uh, is pretty good defensively, but is going to not going to try and outscore you. They're going to try and make sure you score less than them. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the, the We Here team from a couple of years ago. The biggest difference, it's a very glaringly obvious one. They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And the way the Knicks are defending at the moment, I'm not confident about them defending a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So we'll see what adjustments are made and what Tibbs cooks up for this team. Some obvious Lakers-Knicks connections. The two big ones. First being that Julius Randle was drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers. And there is apparently still some sour grapes that the way that relationship ended was Julius Randle was allowed to just walk 
and uh, they didn't even allow him to go to free agency where they can get something back for him and work out some kind of trade. They just let him walk in free agency so he can go to the New Orleans Pelicans. And there's apparently still some sour grapes in the Laker fan base about that move, whether they wanted to keep Randall or not, or at least get something for him. And then, look, we've we've talked about it forever. It's it's led to some controversy, if we want to call it that. Uh, Cam Reddish is on his fourth team and has finally found a home with the Los Angeles Lakers. We discussed that with Trevor uh, and what Cam has meant to this Laker team this year. And the surprise, if you ask him, um, of what Cam has, has been able to do. So a lot of good stuff on this show. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's get to my conversation with Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation and, of course, the great front office show previewing this matchup between the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers. Enjoy. Mr. Trevor Lane, welcome back to the Knicks Film School podcast, sir. Oh, thank you for having me back on. Excited to break down this matchup. I think this is going to be a great one. So let's start real quick with the in-season tournament because I was asked a lot as a Knicks fan because... I don't know if, if, if you know this, but we don't have the prestigious history of championships and banners that the Lakers have. Um, but I was asked if the Knicks win, should they raise a banner and do they have a parade? And I gave the answer of like, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I think a, a, if a different franchise wins it, it's a different conversation. But it, it did. I was 50-50. If they raise it, whatever. If they don't, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, they should have raised that banner. It appears that the Lakers are going to raise a banner for the the in-season tournament championship that they just won. So I ask you, on behalf of Laker fans, do you think that they should be raising this banner? And how much does that championship mean to Laker fans? Well, so I think that the my sense is that the NBA probably has some influence here um, in terms of getting them to to raise a banner. They would like them to do it. Um, and so that's part of it. But I also think that they're correct that they should raise one. And I like that they're doing it here because there's a lot of fans who say, no, it's it's a championship or nothing. Otherwise, it doesn't go up in the uh, in the rafters here. You know, Western Conference championship trophies are being used as doorstoppers in, in Lakers offices. <laughs> that's a story that's been going around <laughs> for a while. They they only hang championship banners, but I like that what they're doing is they're differentiating it from a championship banner. It's going to be a different size, different shape, and it's just going to be one. So should the Lakers win future in-season tournaments, they will add the years to the banner that's being being put up. So rather than have a new banner each year. So again, it's going to differentiate it. It's going to be something that's that's different. But but I, I think that you got to look at this two ways. Number one, from the Lakers perspective, from a general NBA team's perspective, is this something that that should be hung up? Is this something that um, that matters to them? I think it very clearly mattered to the team, mattered to the players. And while right now it might not be the most prestigious thing, I think that you might as well go ahead and hang up a banner there, especially if this is going to become a thing in the future, which, by the way, this can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If the Lakers hang up a banner, doesn't that make it a little bit more important. If 10 years from now, we're talking about in-season tournament uh, wins as meaning something, we're going to look back and be able to say, well, the Lakers won the first one and that that championship will hang in the rafters at, uh, at crypto.com arena or whatever it's called by, by that point. Who knows? But um, I think it's important from that perspective. But then from the NBA's perspective, the NBA is very invested in making this happen, in making the in-season tournament a real thing and something that's going to bring eyeballs, bring viewers, bring excitement. And so far, mission accomplished. I thought they got great basketball. I thought we got playoff intensity basketball in November and in December. So I think it worked out better than, than we could have hoped the in-season tournament did. But if you want this to be a thing long term, you need the Lakers to hang that banner. You need the Lakers to put that up there because not only are you setting that precedent, that this means something and you're not going to let teams kind of pretend that it doesn't. But also, what does this mean for future years? Let's say a team like, I don't know, let's just say it's the Orlando Magic or the Charlotte Hornets or somebody like that that wins it next year. If the precedent has been set that the Lakers didn't hang the banner and then you go and you want to hang one up, well, it kind of you wind up feeling kind of bad about it. It looks bad because the prior team didn't do it, right? You want the Lakers to set the precedent that, hey, hey, even the glamour franchises in the NBA are going to hang this banner and it's going to mean something to them. So from the NBA, the league's perspective, the in-season tournament, the longevity of the tournament, it's important that they do put something up that, that acknowledge it. So I think it's the right move to, to hang a banner for it. I think you're hitting on the biggest takeaway I had from a general NBA sense about the in-season tournament. And anytime I have a conversation about it, 
and whether it matters. And this is really like with casual NBA fans that had no idea what this tournament was or how it worked. I just said like, we're only going to take it as seriously as these players do. And when it was apparent or not even just apparent, but evident that the players took it seriously, that they cared about it, that they were trying to hit their point differentials to a certain level, even with opponents complaining about it, that this mattered. This absolutely mattered. Going to Vegas mattered. And like you said, if LeBron and the Lakers are going to take it as seriously as they did, and they're the first champion, it like you said, it sets the precedent. The caveat I will add is that while I'm sure as as the Lakers winning the championship was nice to see, um, not every team that made the tournament got a benefit of of doing of getting to uh, enjoy the benefits of being uh, in the season tournament. For example, the New York Knicks, um, their reward for making the tournament was an extra road game against Milwaukee and an extra road game against Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the Sixers schedule yesterday, and their punishment for missing the in-season tournament was that they get to um, play an extra home game against Washington and an extra home game against the free-falling Atlanta. So I think there's there's little things they can adjust to, to how the, the, the tournament works and how the, the schedule pans out. But the Knicks like lose out. They're going to play 40 home games this year. So I guess we'll wrap up in-season tournament talk, but are there any adjustments you would make as far as the the layout and the scheduling or this being yeah. year one it's tough to really make that type of judgment yeah i had that that exact thought before the tournament started i was looking at the way this could all play out and i went huh you could actually in terms of regular season games you could actually be benefited by winning your group losing your first quarter final game and then getting a couple of easier games added to your schedule against teams that also dropped out if you don't care at all about the tournament. It seems like kind of that's where the 76ers wound up. They actually wound up benefiting uh, in the tournament by getting some games added in that weren't against top tier opponents. So yeah, that that's part of the downside that maybe could use some tweaking. I'd like to see the point differential thing. I know there was some concerning about concerns about that. I don't particularly care too much about that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. If you don't want teams running the score up on you, then beat them, right? Play I mean, defense, play, play, yeah, play, yeah. Right? play defense, play all the way throughout the game. Um, you know, it's something we see it in. in, in this is a very much a soccer model in tournaments. You see teams play goal differential all the time in, in soccer. So I'm not too worried about that. The biggest thing is, can we change the floors? And it takes me like half the game to get adjusted to the court. And maybe that's just me being old man. But this is when I see them, like I get it. They want people to be flipping through the channels and stop and go, whoa, there's something different happening in the NBA tonight and pay attention to it. I think you can accomplish that without just bashing people over the heads with with this just jarring of a of a floor design. So I think they're too bright. They take away from the game itself. So I'd like to see the courts toned down a bit for next season. But as far as the tournament itself, the way that it's set up, yes, I would like to see a way for them for them to not reward teams for having for uh, not performing well in the tournament or dropping out early in the tournament. That would be ideal. I don't know exactly how you tweak that. I'm sure smarter people than me can can figure it out. For me, just from the viewership side, let, let's take it easy on on the floors and and not bash people over the heads with the fact that it's a tournament game. I think you just mentioned why the courts are the way they are. It's not for us. It's not for the people that we're gonna watch anyway. It's an eye catching yeah. attraction for someone flipping through the channels for whoever still has cable. You know, and then there's the there's kids that like they're gonna remember what the the courts looked like. Like I'm with you. The, some of these courts are extreme. Uh, the Lake the Lakers purple court was in my mind somewhat extreme. It's, the, it's like, yellow. It's 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 like the well, it's not even a gold. It's a so yellow is it mostly a, gold and then the middle stripe was purple? Yeah, it's okay. uh, so it's it, the it, heat court I'm thinking of that was like all red and then the yes. middle court was black. Yeah, or the OKC court that was just like very Blue. teal. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I like I'm it's year one. I agree from an entertainment perspective. I cared about December basketball in a way I would care about uh, probably April basketball, maybe not June basketball. But I was invested in a Saturday night December basketball mm-hmm. game in the NBA, which is something I can't necessarily say would happen in the past. The other element of the end season tournament as we transition to the regular season 
is it seems to have added just a brutality to the schedule to start the year. We were talking a bit before we started recording that like the Knicks are coming off a back-to-back where they were in Phoenix and then um, the Clippers last night. And unfortunately, the Clippers benefited from the Knicks playing the second night of a back-to-back in Crypto.com Arena. Um, And so I was asking like how brutal has the Lakers schedule been? And if you want to just tell Knicks fans, it's not just us. Everybody seems to be having a pretty brutal start to the season and the Lakers players are complaining about it, right? Yeah, we had after the last game, you know, uh, Max Christie, LeBron James, we're both talking about how difficult the schedule has been in the month of December and how um, it's it's just been a lot of travel um, that they've been they've been dealing with uh, here. We've got uh, Max Christie was saying uh, we were in Vegas for four days, went back home for one day, flew right back out, go to Texas for four days. Then they come come back. Then they're right back out on the road. Uh, they're going and they're going to Chicago, Minnesota on the second night of a back-to-back, then over to OKC, then finally you're back home for and you get the Celtics on Christmas Day. Like it's they've been bouncing all over the place. Part of this is the tournament because they went to Vegas, but it's just been a, a rough go. But here's the thing though, like there's a lot of teams that will have different stretches of, of their schedule that are that are going to be difficult. But this is also part of the, what what this is what this is, it's the NBA's vision. It's that magic word, parody. What happens is there's less gimme games on anybody's schedule when you have more teams that are competing at a higher level and you have teams that are getting better through different things that are happening in the CBA through the play-in tournament. You've got less teams going into tank mode. So that's created less opportunities to second night of a back-to-back, but you've got a terrible team on your schedule. You can kind of breeze through that game and then move on to the next one. You don't have as many opportunities for that. Instead, random Wednesday night, you've still got a very difficult opponent. I think that's part of it Part of it here, too, is you, there's just better teams in general, especially when we're looking at, at the Western Conference because parity is becoming more and more of a thing. So that's part of it, but I also think, yeah, the, the tournament added to it a little bit, and... Um, Look, the, the NBA schedule, it's it's not easy, especially the second night of a back-to-back on the road situations. I hate those. I wish there was a way to eliminate those because I think you get poor quality performances in, in that type of environment. But it is what it is, and teams are going to have to battle through it this year. Well, the Knicks have been battling through it. And like you said, the Lakers have been battling through it. A lot of teams that I've I've spoken to throughout this show have, have just said the schedule's been brutal. Apparently for everybody except the Sixers, the schedule has just been brutal <laughs> to start the year. Um, it's still a 15 on 11 start for the Lakers, though, which, I mean, you add in the, the title or whatever you want to call the in-season tournament championship that they won. You know, it's been somewhat of a success from my perspective outside looking in. How have Laker fans received the first 26 games of the season? How are the vibes in L.A. at the well, moment? There, there's some issues because they're 15 and 11 and they're the eight seed. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's and that's where people look at the standings and go, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with the Lakers? They're terrible. Something needs to change. Fire everybody. Trade everybody. Right. I'm exaggerating some. Well, not all. Right. But, but I'm exaggerating I was say, it's a little probably bit. not too much of an exaggeration. It's not much yeah. of an exaggeration. But um, I mean, the team has had stretches where they, they haven't looked great. They've been hammered with injuries all season long. In fact, there's been six, seven, maybe eight games. I think at this point, I've lost count where they've had seven or eight players available, uh, like true rotation players. They're not like two-way guys that you're putting in. Um, that was the case in, in their last game where they had, uh, they essentially had an, an eight-man rotation. So they've been been crushed by injuries all season long. Uh, Gabe Vincent may be returning to play against the Knicks uh, here. He has not, he played the first four games of the season. He played horribly first four games of the season was shooting 7% from three, but uh, but he may be returning. I think the, this may be the first game of the season that the Lakers have had their entire team healthy. If everybody bounces back who was out the last game, that's D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Davis, uh, Cam Reddish, who's been really good for the Lakers this season. Uh, the, he could be back. Jalen hood Shafino, I don't know his status. He's been dealing with back issues, but he's probably not part of the rotation anyway. So uh, this game may be the actual first game all season that Darvin Ham has had a full complement of his rotation players to turn to. So they've been hit hard by injuries, but um, but fans have been, you know, yes, the in-season tournament win uplifted people, showed them that there is another level this team can get to, but they haven't exactly been playing an inspired basketball the whole time. So given the injuries, 
I think you got to be pretty happy with 15 and 11. But if you're a fan that's just looking at the standings, you're probably thinking, oh, what's wrong with the Lakers? I guess speak on behalf of Knicks fans everywhere that, of course, the first time the Lakers are going to have their full complement of healthy players is going to be when they play the Knicks, because it just seems to happen to work out that way. But I guess we'll see how it works out in that matchup. You mentioned the the I'll call it consternation from Lakers fans because of where they are in the standings and potentially some different things that could be happening with the team. What is the biggest complaint from Lakers fans so far this year uh, based off of what you're hearing? Well, I mean, a lot of it is is people are not happy with Darvin Ham with with the head coach, um, which that that kind of comes with the territory. That's the every, team. Yes. every team, yes. every team, every team. I mean, aside from maybe Heat, I'm sure there's Heat fans that, that are no, not happy that's with coaching thing. decisions. Yeah, when I, when I when we had the when I, when I did a Heat pregame pod and I was mentioning that they were complaining about Spo in the finals last year, <laughs> and I was just like, you, every every team hates their coach. That's just uh, yeah, that that just comes with the territory. But other than that, a lot of it is the shooting. The Lakers have not been a good three point shooting team. They don't take a high volume uh, of three-point shots. That's holding back their offensive rating, their offensive efficiency. Uh, They're not doing much to crash the offensive boards. That's a tactical decision though. They're sending players back uh, to try to shore up their their, uh, transition defense. But that's been an issue that they've been looking at. You know, uh, the other thing is the backup big position has been a, a struggle with with Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes. Both of them haven't quite been what Lakers fans hoped they would be this season. And then when you look at, at what this team has provided in terms of just the overall offensive punch, there's been a clunkiness to their offensive game that that is not. And part of that, again, I think is that players have been out. It's been tough for guys to get into a rhythm, but for a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they sure have struggled to score points, struggled to create any kind of, you know, exciting offensive production. So that's going to be, that's going to be something to keep an eye on too in this, in this game. Can the Lakers get things going particularly from behind the arc? Can that open some things up for them? Because it's kind of felt like the same old thing. Guys come to the Lakers, they forget how to shoot and teams just pack the paint against them and dare anybody else to hit an outside shot and keep LeBron and AD as bottled up as they possibly can. So we'll see what, what happens there with that one. But those have been pretty much the main complaints for this Lakers team so far. Yeah, we'll see how much this matchup um, creates an opportunity for the Lakers. Just like the Knicks, it, it, we're on, I think, game six of this. Just everybody's having their best night of the season shooting threes. And it's it started in the in-season tournament when they played Milwaukee. And the the Bucks hit like 22 of 35 from three. Then the Celtics, who are a three-point machine, hit a ton of threes. And you wanted to write it off as like, you know what? Those are two elite teams in the East. That's not going to happen every night. And then Toronto, one of the worst half-court offenses in the, in the sport, who's not a great three-point shooting team, also shot well from three. And then Utah did it. And then Phoenix did it. And then last night, uh, the Clippers, of course, did it. So I'm, I'm very curious how the Knicks fare against a team, again, like the Lakers, as you mentioned, that isn't a great three-point shooting team. Um, the Knicks play a lot of drop coverage, but a lot of that was usually part of the strategy when Mitchell Robinson was Mm -hmm. in the lineup and he's obviously going to miss the next eight to 10 weeks because of his ankle surgery. And they're just, they're just figuring out what to do right now or still figuring out what to do on the defensive end. So I, for a Lakers team that struggles to score, the Knicks might be the elixir coming into this matchup. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Prize Picks. Not only are they the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, but they're also the easiest and most exciting way to play. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, it's just you against the numbers, picking more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection. With basketball season fully underway, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. This is a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, take Jalen Brunson over in points or Julius Randle over in rebounds and combine it with two NFL picks like Lamar Jackson over in rushing yards or Zach Wilson over in interceptions. Prize Picks is a really simple way to play. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. Like on Taco Tuesday each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account all basketball season. You know what to do. Go to prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. You mentioned the AD and LeBron of it all, and I, I want to split the, the, the conversation about them into two parts because I need to just ask your perspective about what we're seeing with LeBron James. When you were on with me last year, I asked about LeBron's relationship to Lakers fans and what you, I thought you gave the most insightful um, takeaway from it, or I guess way for me to think about it. It's just the biggest thing LeBron has to, the biggest hurdle he has to clear is that he'll never be Kobe. Mm-hmm. And while I, that obviously still exists, I'm sure what he's doing in year 20, 21, 22, I think 21 or 22, 21, yeah. 21 of his NBA career, where he's a legitimate first team all NBA MVP candidate. The lineup data says he's one of the more impactful players in the sport, let alone on the Lakers. I mean, what is what has it been like watching this this happen? And is there any thought that like, this is sustainable at, at, at almost 40 years old. This is going to keep happening and th- where he's going to lead us to like a, a late playoff run once again. Well, so I think the difference we've got with the, the LeBron that the Lakers have right now is that he can go in spurts. And I think that was part of what the what the optimism that the Indian tournament provided was that LeBron can still turn it up because he took his game to another level. Suddenly a LeBron that we've seen misses defensive rotations, misses box outs and things like that suddenly was was on point with all of those things. And he's fired up and all. he can't do that every night. He can't do that every night. But when he needs to, he can still get there. And that in and of itself is remarkable. On top of that, even when he's, you know, you can, especially given how he played in the tournament, it's very obvious that he is to some degree holding back during most of these regular season games. And that's perfectly reasonable, given the fact that he's literally the oldest player in the NBA. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to lose sight of how unprecedented this is, what he's doing right now. We've had players that played in the NBA up to LeBron's age. We haven't had anybody that's produced quite like this. We even think about like Jordan's Wizards days, which statistically were not terrible, even though we may want to try to forget those years from our from our, our social consciousness or whatever. But uh, but LeBron, what he's doing right now. It's just, it's absolutely unreal. I think it's the culmination of all the work he's put in on his body over the years. And it's the kind of thing where because it's LeBron, you just kind of feel like, well, he's not human. And, and so you can almost lose sight of the fact that that what we're seeing on a night-to-night basis has really never happened before. We've never seen anybody in his age be able to do this. So it's, it is unreal what we're seeing out of him night-to-night. Um, I think it is sustainable considering that we've seen that he's got another level. Now that's not to say that he's not going to have games that he misses where he needs to take nights off. He's not going to have, yeah, that's going to happen. I'm sure there'll be some bumps and bruises, some injuries and things like that. That'll pop up as the season goes on. But what the fact that he just showed to the in season tournament that what he's doing right now is not 100%. This is not him going all out very much. So that lets me know that, yeah, this probably is sustainable because he's not really pushing down on the gas pedal right now when he's doing what he's doing on a regular season night, he's got another level he can get to. Hopefully we don't have to see it again until playoff time though. I mean, this as respectfully as possible, but do you know how ridiculous that sounds? 
that he has another level to get to yeah. with how he's been so far this year. Like, um, let's ignore the cleaning the glass data, which shows that they're like they're like two touchdowns better with him on the floor. If you go to his basketball reference page, this is his fourth best field goal percentage season with just his last two Miami years and that one Cleveland year he was insane. Um, being better. This is his second best three-point percentage shooting season behind the year he won MVP that year the Heat won 27 straight games. And this is his most efficient season with effective field goal percentage. And he's taking more threes and being more efficient at it. The fact that, like you said, this is just something we've never seen before. And like the only comp that I've ever that I've even kind of come up with when trying to talk about this with other people is like, what if Brady... I don't even think Brady, you could even compare it because Brady was doing it in a system. There were other players involved, but like that's, that's the comp is like, what if he was still this elite at that age? And it's the, it's the closest thing I have to it. Um, yeah. I will say the, the thing that's thrown me off a little bit is when I've watched the Lakers this year, I also noticed AD's impact specifically on the defensive end. And we just did on Patreon our all defense teams, or excuse me, our all NBA teams for the year. And I had AD as a lock on my second team. And then you look at some of the lineup data and it's like, well, there it's LeBron is the very clear MVP all NBA candidate. And then AD is a tertiary player. And that's what that would preach. And I, I want to ask someone that's seen every Laker minute this season. What's what am I missing? Or what is the lineup data missing as far as AD's impact? Or is it clear that it's LeBron and then AD and then everybody else, or are they on the same level to an extent? Well, it depends on which end of the floor that, that you're looking at, really, because on offense, it's LeBron and then it's AD. We've seen games where AD can get schemed out. Teams send a double at him. He'll try to pass out of that. Sometimes he's successful with that, sometimes not. But he'll have games where he puts up 13 points or something like that. Or, you know, he also has games like he did in the in-season tournament final where he goes for 40. It depends on, you know, who's going up against what the matchup is. And he tries to make the right play on the offensive end. Sometimes uh, the Lakers fans will bemoan that they want to see him be just more aggressive and, you know, 20 plus points every single night. But offensively, Anthony Davis isn't always the most consistent player out there. Defensively, he's really good. Defensively, it's AD and then everybody else. And it's super noticeable when Anthony Davis is not out on the floor. When he's not out there, the Lakers tend to fall to pieces defensively. Again, we just saw it against the Spurs when they didn't have Anthony Davis. It was Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood in the middle. And yikes, was that a disaster? It did not mm -hmm. work out at all. So the Lakers defense is, is so driven by Anthony Davis and what he does out there on the floor that I think we would need a larger sample size of games without AD to truly see how much things drop off um, without him and to get a sense of, okay, if you had... The other team's best and you don't have Anthony Davis in the game. What does that ultimately do? What, the, what happens with the Lakers defensive rating? So that's something that you'd really have to keep an eye on there. Again, it's, it's almost reframing things. And this is the frustration I've seen from fans who've said, well, Anthony Davis is not truly a 1A star because we think of a 1A star as a guy who's going to go one on five and hit big shots in the clutch and nobody can stop them. They're going to hit these sidestep fadeaway threes and, and just dominate on offense. And that's not what really makes Anthony Davis special. That's not really his game. He can have big offensive games for sure. But what really sets him apart is his defensive capability, his flexibility on that end of the floor, his ability to wall off entire areas of the floor, his ability to defend on the perimeter, to rebound the basketball, to protect the rim, to do all of these things at once. It's that that makes him a superstar, but that's not typically what we think of when we think of a superstar player. So all of that kind of gets wrapped into this conversation of what is Anthony Davis? How good is he really? Is he truly that next year player? What really is his superpower? It's the defensive side of the ball. And that's just not what we tend to think of in terms of a, a superstar level player. So that makes things tough too. But again, I think in terms of the numbers, I, I think if we saw more games without Anthony Davis, which hopefully we don't, it would become apparent like how big of a factor he is for this Lakers defense. That's the other thing that stood out when looking at the Lakers is how healthy they've been this year. And I know that's been, well, okay. I say that with a grain of salt to their two best players, LeBron yes. and AD, how healthy they've been this year because that's always been a concern at least since the two paired up um, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, the, making it to the conference finals last year mattered a lot, at least to me. I know that they were a seven seed, but I even looked at the the stretch that they went on after the rush trade and the, the evolution of 
uh, the promotion and evolution of Austin Reeves and that leading to a much better fit amongst the team. Um, if you want to speak on behalf of Lakers fans or even just yourself, like looking at the layout of the Western Conference, what's your confidence level of the Lakers being able to make a deep playoff run as is? And I guess a follow up question would be, if you're not as confident, what's the move or do you have a move in mind that you want to see them make? Yeah, I think that the in-season tournament gave you more confidence that they can make a deep run because they did take it to another level because we saw when they care, when they truly want to push down on the gas pedal, when LeBron and AD are fired up, they get to that next level and they can be a really difficult team to deal with. You know, LeBron just talked about this, that when they have their guys, um, they can be one of the best teams in the NBA. As you said, LeBron and AD have largely been healthy. They missed a few games, but they've largely been healthy for the season, which obviously that's that's the most important thing. But most of their supporting cast has been injured um, for for most of the season. They've been they've been playing down players most of the way. And this team was was really built around depth. They were built around having a number of guys who are making that kind of mid level exception money and above. And they've been without a lot of those. And Rui Hachimura has been in and out of the lineup with a broken nose with a concussion. You've had uh, Jared Vanderbilt missed the bulk of the season deal, dealing with a heel issue. On and on and on. It's been one injury after another for this team. So. The hope is that as they get healthy, hopefully LeBron and AD become health or stay healthy, and that will allow them to come postseason, really take their game to that next level, have been built on the chemistry that, frankly, they haven't really been able to forge up to this point due to so much shuffling with players in and out of the lineup. As far as what they could need, I do think there are holes in this team that they're going to look to fill um, around the trade deadline. I think that they could use a true physical backup big. You don't really have anybody aside from Anthony Davis, Christian Wood has his pluses and minuses, hasn't shot the ball well this year. I think that will ultimately come around. Jackson Hayes can't stay on the floor. He's just been a foul machine. And he's not that big of a player to begin with. I think they need a big physical presence in the paint. That's something that they've lacked um, this year. They could certainly use more three-point shooting. Three-point shooting tends to, as we've talked about, fall to pieces when guys come to the Lakers. And then I think they could use a point of attack defender at the guard position. We've talked about Alex Caruso, but frankly, 29 teams are talking about Alex Caruso right now and if he could be a fit for them. So I think they could use those three things specifically. Three-point shooting, a little bit more perimeter defense at the guard position, and then uh, a true big. I don't think they get all of those things at the trade deadline. But I think now is the time where where the Lakers and all teams around the NBA are evaluating what is it exactly that we need. And then come mid-January, I think those those talks will start to get a bit more serious as we get closer to that February 8th trade deadline. Well, one question I do need to ask about the guys that the Lakers do have and guys that seem to be mainstays in the rotation at the moment. Um the evolution of Cam Reddish or the performance of Cam Reddish, former Nick, there is a hive that exists amongst Knicks fans that he's the one that got away, that hate the Josh Hart trade that was made last year, even though the Knicks went to a new level after trading yeah. a guy that wasn't playing, playing for Josh Hart. Um, what's been your your biggest uh, reason that you could say for what has made Cam such an impactful player. We on our side have, have seen a guy that's much more tuned in on, on defense that's um, hitting his threes when given the opportunity. And more importantly, he doesn't feel the necessity to really show out on offense because he's playing off of LeBron and AD and players that are clearly better. So from your perspective, how would you evaluate what's made Cam Reddish such an important player to the Lakers? It, it's really been defense, and that's been a big surprise. You know, I, the the sense of of Cam Reddish coming in was that okay, this is a guy who can be a bit of a slasher, who can knife to the basket, hasn't shot well enough over the course of his career, still shooting just thirty three percent from three this season. But um, this is a guy who's going to bring you a little bit on the offensive end, but defensively may get burned a bit. Instead, he's really committed himself to defense. He's obviously he's got a big frame. He's six eight, long wingspan, and that, and he's got the quickness to defend on the perimeter to occasionally check guards, which has made him in some ways kind of Jared Vanderbilt esque for the Lakers, just in, in terms of being a bigger player but can still defend players who are quick. Um, so that's been something that's really worked out well for them for their for their defense. He's been great getting deflections. Uh, he's averaging one point four steals per game right now. And it's a noticeable difference when he's not in the lineup, when he's been out hurt. And that is certainly not what we were projecting coming in. I thought he was probably going to be the odd man out in the wing rotation. Instead, it seems like he's locked down that starting two guard job simply because he's been so good defensively. And that pairs well with either D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves, whoever's in the game at the time, because it mitigates some of their own issues 
at that position uh, on defense. So it's been the commitment to defense that has really set Cam apart this season. It's been great to see. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of this. It's almost a little Dwight Howard-esque from the Lakers back in the 2019-2020 season where the sense was, if this doesn't work out, then what? Um, I don't know what happens with Cam Reddish if things didn't work out. So in some ways, his back was kind of against the wall here. Now, much younger, obviously, than when Dwight Howard came to the Lakers, but still, uh, he he didn't hit in a number of stops, and he had to wonder what would happen if things weren't working out here. So you're happy for him to see that he's finally getting things to click. Hopefully, this is something that continues, but... It's it's been the commitment to the defensive side of the ball that has really set him apart and allowed him to to claim the minutes that he has on this team. Yeah, Jonathan Macri, who hosts our our main show normally, he uh, mentioned the commitment to defense that's similar to to Dennis Smith Jr. and how he had one foot out the league and then he committed himself to defense and has now found himself on a second location after what he did in Charlotte and now he's obviously in Brooklyn and that's turned him into a mainstay in the NBA. And Cam, like you said, with his back against the wall, potentially really one of his last shots, committing himself to defense... You have to commend him for it. And, you know, he's obviously played really well for the Lakers and provided some very meaningful minutes in the first part of this season. Two questions before I let you get out of here. The first one is a bit of a fun one. I do this thing with every every person that joins me. And it's a it's a Mount Rushmore of rivals. So what I mean by that Mm -hmm. calendar comes out every year. There's, there's the dates you circle that you look forward to, the opponents that you're looking forward to. So if you had to tell me your personal four Lakers rivals, I think I know one already, mm-hmm. that you circle the calendar for when they come into town or when the Lakers go to their town, who would they be? Well, for me, it's a Mount Rushmore of one, and I'm old school, but it's it's the Celtics. It's, it's Lakers-Celtics. Celtics. It's always That's always the the matchup that, that you want to look for. Um, there are Lakers fans, though, who will tell you now, and even if I put the vote out on Twitter, which trends younger, if I put the vote out on Twitter, I, I think the Clippers would get the most votes um, in terms of who Lakers fans are annoyed by the most or want to beat the most or consider to be this rival or whatever. Um, so it's I think the Celtics and the Clippers are certainly up there. As far as the, the next two after that, the Denver Nuggets, based on what happened last year in the playoffs, that's certainly something that um, that would come up this year. Not obviously a historic rivalry, but definitely something that uh, is more on fans' minds. And then the, the fourth team, I mean, you could throw a number of teams out there, but I know Lakers fans have been kind of annoyed with the, with the Suns uh, of late. So maybe the Phoenix Suns would be in the mix there. Uh, and again, that, that would be one. And frankly, it probably two spots that would shuffle a lot. You know, you go back 20 years and it's in, in the Sacramento Kings are up there. There have been other teams that have come and gone. The Blazers would have been back there and they're up there in the early 2000s. So you never know season to season what's going to kind of emerge. I think the mainstays right now are the Clippers and the Celtics. The other two spots will shuffle through this season. It's probably the Nuggets and the Suns. Am I Am, am I wrong in assuming that the only Warriors case is that it's a LeBron uh generated uh, attention that basically because of LeBron's rivalry with the Warriors and the fact that they played each other both in that play in game and last year in the playoffs, there's LeBron fans that look forward to any time the Lakers play the Warriors, but not the majority of Laker fans. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think the Warriors would be the next team on the list and you could argue they should bump the the Suns for sure. That would, that could be something that's um, that you could get into, but the Warriors, it's 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 a it's a LeBron fan versus Curry fan thing mm. that, that you see quite a bit, and people want to make the argument, you know, Steph's better, LeBron's better, or whatever. Um, it's to me though, like when the Warriors were at their best, the Lakers were not, and then when the Lakers were good in 2020, the Warriors were not. Last year was the first year that we really saw both sides kind of going at each other, and both sides playing solid basketball. And obviously the, the Lakers came out on top in the, in the second round of the playoffs, there was the play in uh, game a couple of seasons ago as well. But other than that, the two teams weren't really good at the same time. And so they kind of missed each other in that sense. And that I, I think robbed us of what could have been a really big rivalry building. Um, but if you want to say the Warriors really should be the fourth team and not the Suns, I wouldn't, fault you for it. I think they, they definitely could be. And particularly the fan bases probably irritate each other more than even like Suns fans and Lakers fans do. But just based on the clubs, it seems like they they really, you know, they get up to play both teams. But um, I think this is going to be 
with the Warriors, it'll be an interesting battle when the Lakers do meet up with them and there's going to be a little bit more to it. But I wouldn't go as far as to say like it's a big rivalry unless you're a LeBron fan, unless you're a, a Curry fan. That's where it's really the rivalry. Yeah, I guess we'll see if the the Warriors turn things around and make it so these teams even have a chance of meeting yeah. when they're both good again in the future. Uh, last question before I get out of here. I know we've gone a little bit long on time, but your thoughts on the Knicks. I like to give my my guests the 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 floor, whether you want to ask a question about the Knicks this season or if you just have some thoughts about the, the upcoming opponent. What are your thoughts on the Knicks as where they, things currently stand for them this year? Well, you know, I'll tell you, first and foremost, I'm happy to see Julius Randle has been having his success over the last uh, last stretch of games here because, uh, you know, I saw a lot of fans were not thrilled with him. A lot of Knicks fans are not happy with talking trades with Julius Randle and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I've been a, a member of, of Randall Island, a resident of Randall Island for a long time since he was a Laker. Um, I, I think he he can be a tremendous player in this league. So happy to see him finding some success there. Losing Mitchell Robinson is absolutely devastating. I think the Lakers are a team that you can you can punish on the offensive glass. They don't do a great job cleaning things up there. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA in terms of giving up second chance scoring opportunities. So maybe fortuitous for the Lakers side that Mitchell Robinson is not there because he's a tremendous offensive rebounder. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been been fantastic. Obviously, obviously dropped 50 the other night. He's been great as well. This Knicks team, they're right there in the mix. But I'll tell you what I'm really keeping an eye on with them. It's as we get close to that February 8th trade deadline, because every player that pops up, whether it's Zach Levine or somebody else, I think the Knicks are, have the ammunition to potentially go after somebody and add them to this roster and take them to the next level. I think right now you can look at them and say, well, they're in that kind of second tier in the East. They're not on the same level as, say, the Bucks or the Celtics or one of those teams. But I think they've got the ammunition to go get somebody and really push them up. And right now it's just about kind of developing that chemistry, making sure you're at where you're where you need to be, and then see if you can pour gasoline on the fire at the trade deadline. I think it's going to be an exciting trade deadline. I don't know exactly who's going to be out there on the market just yet. I think that's going to become apparent over the next month or so. But I'm keeping all eyes on the Knicks as a team that could certainly make a big move and uh, and propel themselves up in the in the conference. How populated is Randall Island with Lakers fans? How many Laker fans are still like paying rent on on that? It's that it's not island? super, but you know we've got okay. plenty of room to spread out. Uh, there's the uh, you know we've we've got we, I've got beachfront property there, and I can tell you I don't see a lot of neighbors around me, which is nice. It's very peaceful, very quiet. But, uh, but no, it's a like there are Lakers fans that that still fondly remember Julius Randall from his time with in L.A. Um, you know, obviously the the exit didn't go exactly the way you know Lakers Lakers fans would have hoped, but I think in general there's a there's a a positive vibe around Randall and and his time with the Lakers. Well, so first of all, I, I say that because well, I've I end up being a Randall defender because mm-hmm. he's just climbing up so many Knicks all time leaderboards with what he's been over the past couple of years, but. Like I, I don't know if I have. I also have an apartment somewhere on Randall Island, but <laughs> I don't know how many orange and blue houses are on Randall Island. And I guess my my very last question before I let you go is, as I mentioned, there's there's a contingent of Knicks fans that they they miss Cam Reddish, think it would have happened here if they had given him a fair shot. There's the the Knicks fans that watch Obi Toppin and what he's doing in Indiana and have the Mm -hmm. same evaluation. I I believe there's going to be Knicks fans when Emmanuel quickly potentially leaves um, in restricted free agency or in a trade that if he has a, a career that's better or more impactful than the limited role he's playing now also takes a step are there Laker fans or maybe more specifically, were there Laker fans that first year Randall really ascended that were like, that could have happened here. Like you let him walk for literally nothing that could have happened here. Like how, what is the perspective of watching what Randall's become now? Oh, 100%. I mean, it was, uh, I remember back when it happened being just absolutely shocked. In fact, I was live on the radio when, when it was announced that the Lakers were just releasing Randall and it was, it felt like every free agent the Lakers had wanted for so long was a restricted free agent. And the late, and you just, there was nothing they could do. They couldn't go get these guys that are restricted. Finally, the Lakers had a guy that was restricted and they went, Oh, you don't want to be a restricted free agent. Oh, cool. Go ahead. Go be unrestricted. Go sign with the Pelicans. No big deal. We won't worry about it. Um, it, it was mind blowing stuff that that was the decision that the Lakers made. And ultimately it led them to getting Rajon Rondo and that worked out. He turned into playoff Rondo in the, in the playoffs a couple years later and, and everything went fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's still Lakers fans who, who look at the way things ended with Julius Randle. You took a seventh overall draft pick 
and kind of let him slip away. Now, I think there's a realization that ultimately, even if the Lakers didn't go and eventually trade for Anthony Davis, if you had Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma, if Lonzo Ball, gosh, I hope he heals up and gets healthy. But even if he was healthy, you weren't going to be able to pay all of these guys. You look at the salaries they're getting now, they weren't going to be able to keep everybody. But there's still frustration over the way things went with Randle and just not even getting anything from him on the trade market, just you know, giving in to his request to not be a restricted free agent so he can go sign somewhere else. Um, it was it was surprising. It was shocking. And uh, and I think it was still a mistake that the Lakers made there. And that said, from a, on a personal level, I'm happy to see him him thriving somewhere else. So it's it's bittersweet, certainly, whenever the Lakers play Julius Randle. It, it sounds like there was a case of too many guys with the Lakers. Like you mentioned Josh Hart. I completely forgot that like the, specifically the summer league version of Josh Hart, but yeah. then the version of Josh Hart when he was on the Lakers and you, you mentioned Kuzma and they obviously Caruso and all these different guys that they were eventually going to have to pay and eventually going to have to be part of a rotation. And the Knicks, obviously not to the same extreme because the Knicks don't have a LeBron or an AD, but they don't, they're not going to be able to pay everybody and they're not going to be able to keep everybody. And there's been a sense in some of the reporting around the Knicks that the front office recognizes they may have a problem with too many guys for a, a certain amount of minutes. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if the Knicks um, explore the, at least go through the process and explore the trade market. So mm-hmm. that way they don't make a similar mistake with what the Lakers did with Julius Randle. And we'll see if that mistake uh, adds a little bit of motivation for Randle coming into this matchup on Monday against the Lakers. Driver, thank you as always for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Before you get out of here, would you plug, would you like to plug for all the Knicks film school audience? Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want to find out more about the, about the Lakers, we do have the, the Lakers nation YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers nation, where we break down all the latest happenings in the Lakers world every single day. You can check us out there. You also find us over on Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, five days a week minimum. We have a new show going out over on the Lakers nation podcast feed. And then all of our written work is over at LakersNation.com. If anybody wants to find me personally, you can find me at Trevor underscore lane over on X at Trevor lane, NBA on Instagram and threads. Thank you, Trevor. No problem. Thank you again for having me. Once again, a big thank you to Trevor Lane for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, the links are in the description. Their their YouTube channel is like hashtag goals. Um, that's literally what Nick's Film School is trying to model. Uh, at least what I'm trying to model our, our content after. I think they do a great job over there of covering their team. They're in year like 13 at covering it too. So that's even more of a of a goal to be doing this 13 years into into this this relationship with you guys that we're we're doing. So um shout out to Trevor. It's always great chatting with him. We'll see how this matchup goes and who ends up getting to do a happy post-game show later tonight. Um that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. Some programming notes. I will also be on the post game tonight with Sean with a W. We'll be both staying up late with all of you East Coasters and staying up to a regular time for all you West Coasters. Uh, and they'll also be doing a watch along the casual. So XJ Mensa, Sean, they'll be on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, I guess X. No, we're not calling it X Twitter live. Um, and of course, uh, uh, I guess we're on Facebook too. I, I don't really interact on Facebook, but the Facebook account will also have the, the watch along live. So if you want to watch along with us tonight, you can, of course, if you're a patron, you can watch along with us on playback if you're able to watch the game. Um, so uh, that'll be our, our programming for tonight. As far as I'm concerned, I will be back on Wednesday morning with a preview of the Knicks against the Nets. But until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace.